10 to 1, episode 152. Books 2021. Welcome to 10 to 1, the podcast where I make top 10 lists about everything. I'm Melissa Kozer. I'm Brian Kozer. And I think that music felt a little too grand tonight, do you think? Just it's always for, too grand for, for us, us random folk at, down at the home. end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> Nine months into a pregnancy. Yeah. Sometimes I feel worthy of it. but uh, Well, and this is just an average episode. Maybe just a quick... We do this all every year. Books episode. Yeah. Well, but I it's always, always enjoy. A good episode, yeah. yeah, enjoy the wrap up. Uh, so we're going to, as always, give our ten favorite books that we read last year. We don't include rereads on the list. So our favorite new books, and um, I guess we're we're starting with you. All if you've right. got your number ten ready, my number ten. So I did end up having a few more that were, uh, I guess, five star books more mm. than these uh but i put some four star ones because i'm i enjoyed them better i don't know it's all subjective yeah yeah don't mine's not exactly on my yeah on my method tonight i'm too tired to bother trying to justify or explain it to the plebes all right Uh-oh. number 10 the omnivore's dilemma and i need to go look and see uh who the author is cuz i forget who wrote it? Um, but it was a really, really good book. It's uh, here we go by Michael Pollan, and uh, he follows. Well, he he's a a journalist researcher, and he he did his best to follow uh, a meal from from like farm or where you know where where the crop is raised to his table and then same with uh meat to the table and or at least to the fast food restaurant it was served at so he he followed corn from when it was first planted in the ground as best as he could to where it was uh then converted into all sorts of different uh iterations of food corn syrup and Corn starch and uh, chicken nuggets, heavily drenched in corn oil and so forth. Okay. And then he did the same Corny. with a a steer. He bought a a, a young a calf, watched it being raised, followed it to the sacrificial feedlot where it eventually gets slaughtered, and he writes about it all in great detail. And it's all pretty horrifying how our food is grown and uh, what goes into <laughs> most of how how detached we are from the farm. So that's the first section of the book. The second section is he goes to like an organic farm, Joel Salatin. Uh, I forget where what state he's in, but he's like trying to do everything as as green as possible and. Um, slaughters his own chickens and would slaughter his own beef if if the government would let him. Uh, but uh, you know, there's different restrictions and stuff. Uh, but he raises his own crops without pesticides or herbicides or you know whatever. And so he sampled a meal at each end of these food chains. And then finally, the last section of the book is him. Wanting to go out and hunt for everything himself. So I learned how to fire a gun. Learned how or got somebody to take him hunting. And ended up shooting a, a wild boar. And then he went foraging for mushrooms. And So like all of this is really interesting. How he like the lengths to which he went to. And, and to which uh, other people might have had to go. And, and just you know kind of getting a, a feel for you know, different ways of getting food. Um, 
It's only a four-star book instead of a five-star because throughout, sprinkled throughout are his, uh, his essays on, I don't know, his thoughts, his ramblings on the philosophy of being an omnivore, both a meat eater and a, uh, veggie eater. And that's pretty boring. But, um, I learned a lot reading that book and I think everybody, uh, would benefit from reading it yeah. and enjoy it. <laughs> I think they got the highlights. It's my number 10, The Omnivore's Dilemma, A Natural History of Four Meals. That's the guy that Clint told us is <coughs> Michael J. Fox's brother-in-law. So that was that was probably what I enjoyed most <laughs> from that book. All right, my number 10 is called Every Layout, Relearn CSS Layout by Example. Well, just as Hayden you Pickering tuned me out. Andy Bell. For right. this last book, I'm going to tune you out for this one. But... I will say, uh, so it's a technical book about CSS web design. There's some good advice for things, uh, general advice like go with the grain, use defaults to your advantage, and then have some very specific layouts that they uh, uh, that they give you some really good examples for. And so I've been um, uh, learning quite a lot from that. Um, I think it was my favorite, yes, it was my favorite nonfiction book from last year. That's my number 10, Every Layout. So in contrast, it's quick in, quick out with a book that most people are not interested in. Your number nine. Mine, I think people would be interested in. Anyway, my number nine will be a quick in and out. It's uh, Children of Dune by Frank Herbert. All right. So we've been reading through the Dune series with, um, along with the sci-fi Christians, and they're doing a deep dive on it. And I don't know, I'm just kind of getting a little bit burnt out at this point. Uh, so that's why this one's only four stars instead of five stars. Burnt out on Dune? Yeah. A little too dry? Um, yeah, too many prophetic visions and philosophical discussions that I sit there and I read and reread and it doesn't, it still doesn't make sense what they're talking about or thinking about. And so then I feel dumb. Hmm. And I don't. It doesn't sort of warm its way into your. No. Oh, yeah, very clever worm. Yeah, uh, also burnt and dry. Yeah, from my previous questions. Just, just move on. My number nine, Children of Dune. It's, it's a, it's a good book. It's an incredible series. I'm never going to be able to write like this. Most mm-hmm. people can't. Mm-mm. I just, I need a break at this point. All right. Well, here's your break. My number nine, Last Call, by Tim Powers. Uh, this one's been on my to-read list for, I mean, it's been at the top of my to-read list when I say it's been on my list. It's been, I'm going to read this this year for probably five or six years. And um, I don't know, I kept getting pushed off. I'm not as big into Tim Powers as I was. Um, I, I still do like him a lot, but he's not not my favorite. Like I would have said, probably. Um, five, six years ago, but, uh, this one might be his best, uh, up there with Anubis Gates. This one is, um, it's got uh, the Holy Grail mythology and Fisher King and, um, uh, tarot cards and, um, You are really into tarot cards. Mixed in with... Just kidding. <laughs> okay. I didn't know if that was a reference to something. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm, I'm not into tired. tarot cards, but... <laughs> Uh, it's interesting. They They're yeah, really they make interesting. A, a good plot device. Yeah, whenever they pop up in the books. book, I yeah. am actually interested. Chronicles of Amber. Yeah. Um, uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, uh, both have tarot cards. It is really. Carnival, I think, had it. Oh, uh, yeah, probably yeah. so. Um, wait, what's Carnival? That TV show that we never finished. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that does. Uh, so, um,. Anyway, uh, and it's uh, sort of a, a present day or present day at the time it was written in the 90s, Las Vegas mixed in with all those things. And so it's his typical secret history. He's got some interesting characters and an uh, interesting plot and kind of trippy by the end. I'm not Gaga for his stuff like I used to be, but this is uh, one a very impressive tying together of all the threads. And uh, if you're into Tim Powers, or you'd like to check out Tim Powers, 
Anubis Gates maybe a little bit better of an on-ramp to his stuff, but I I would definitely put this as maybe the second thing I would okay. I would hand you. I might read that this that, year, so. then. Yeah, uh, I think you'd like it. Okay. But, I mean, if you thought, this isn't as weird as Dune, but it's definitely got some of that, I don't know what's going on, I don't understand the magical stuff that's happening, um, maybe more so than Dune. So. Well, I mean, I don't have to understand everything right yeah. at the beginning. Or at the end. Or, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you pretty much understand what's going on at the end. But, I, I mean, it's it's not David Lynch level of yeah. of uh, uh, kind of impressionistic, but uh, it's he never sits down and has a character explain. Well, I don't mind a book where I flip back and I'm like, oh, I see this hinted hat here or whatever. Yeah. Um, I I like that. That's that's no. fun. But when I'm just sitting there trying over and over to understand what the characters are saying or thinking, yeah. and I just feel dumb because <laughs> I can't decipher it. <laughs> that's frustrating. I think you'd like this one. That's my number nine. Last call. Okay, I'll check it out. I'll put it on the tree list. All right, my number eight uh was my Ray Bradbury book for the year. The Illustrated Man, ah. and uh, it's like a collection of short stories. My favorite in there is The Long Rain, which is uh, just, it's it's pure Bradbury of taking something that uh, you'd, he, it has no basis in, in science or fact, but he just... He spins an excellent story anyway. So it's about this crew that travels to Venus. And, uh, of course, everything that Bradbury says happens on Venus. Uh, the atmospheric conditions and so forth. It's nothing like what the planet is actually like. And it doesn't have to be. It's pure imagination. And it's absolutely incredible writing. Uh, and then, of course, there's a whole bunch of other really great stories in that. That series, uh, it's no, it's no, uh, something wicked this way comes, of mm -hmm. course, by Christian Rummel, narrated by him, but it's still Bradbury. My number eight, The Illustrated Man. Yeah, that is a good one. Uh, my number eight is Children of Dune, our first crossover. And, uh, I, I also agree. It is more he gets more it's getting more confusing as it goes and also more impressive i think as it goes and uh yeah it i agree he's one of those writers where you read him and think uh yeah there's no way i could i could work on this one book for a hundred years and i would never i could never write something yeah. like that so a, a very unique writer uh and i will be continuing the series so uh, god emperor of dune here i come so that's my number eight children yeah. of dune which i preferred also to dune messiah slightly i'll i'll, I'll continue the series i think i just i i don't want to keep on doing it back to back to back like we have been mm -hmm. anyway yeah so four and a half stars for for both the dune sequels so far for me all right my number seven is when Someone Dies, The Practical Guide to the Logistics of Death by Scott Taylor Smith and Michael Castleman. <coughs> um, this is what it sounds like. It's just a practical book on um, uh, a loved one has passed away. Here's how you wrap up uh, all the, the different... <laughs> yeah, all the different things. And like... Uh, he has everything from financial aspects to like really practical small things that you wouldn't think of, uh, such as if they've passed away in a hospital, wherever they've passed away, uh, and you're you're right there, remove any valuables off of the body, uh, the wedding ring, the uh, the wallet, things like that just happen sometimes to disappear. Uh, down in the morgue or, or wherever, the funeral home, uh, and you just, or at the viewing, 
you just don't want to lose out on things like that. So, um, uh, and it's, it's got really practical advice on like, here's how to save money and, uh, not have to go broke trying to wrap up this person's life. So I highly recommend it for everybody because we're all going to die at some point. Go read this book. Uh, apply certain aspects of it. Put it in your will. It's very practical. My number seven, when someone dies. I think my prep is just going to be <laughs> go ahead and buy a black suit so I'm ready to go for, for any funeral. So that's my preparation my number seven similarly the dark tower (laughs) (laughs) and uh i mean this one kind of is representative of the whole series and i think this is probably uh with the exception of um of it not being something that i had read when i was younger so i don't have nostalgia for it Uh, but this is probably my uh, and i also let me just go ahead and say <laughs> the comparison. I think it's a little bit my wheel of time ah. in that uh, very long series, not always high quality, uh, hard for me to recommend somebody to read the whole series, but taken as a whole, um, I, I did really like it. Uh, so, I mean, each book I probably gave uh, the first book, I think I gave five stars, but then individually after that, like three and four stars. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, I mean, the characters I, I really grew attached to and, um, I really like how the series wrapped up. So not going to recommend it. I don't think you should read it. I have no interest in it. If you're interested in Stephen King, I would say go read The Stand maybe stop after that but uh i i'm glad i read it the dark tower the seventh book in the dark tower series by stephen king that's my number seven all right my number six is oh oh sorry and if you do read the dark tower series don't read any other don't listen to anyone online or anyone that says you have to read additional novels don't do it i (laughs) you can look them up on wikipedia for the plot but it's not worth reading five hundred multiple five hundred page Stephen King novels to get just a tidbit that then ties into, mm. or even to hear, even to see a character that shows up in the Dark Tower because it's a multiverse kind of story. Uh, just, just read summaries on Wikipedia and read the seven books in the series. Okay. And skip the prequel he wrote later <laughs> after he wrote the seven. <laughs> All right. That's it. Number seven. What's your number six? My number six is The American Way of Death <laughs> Revisited by Jessica Mitford. This is uh, my first five star, or maybe, no, the other one, the previous one was a five star book too, for how practical it is. But this one was so entertaining to read. So she was a journalist. She came out with the book, the first. Uh, version of the book back in 1960 and what she did was she subscribed to all these funeral publications and magazines letters and so forth and uh quoted directly from them and like attended funeral seminars and stuff like that for salespeople. turns out uh we're all being scammed by the funeral industry and she quotes like it's not it's not a conspiracy theory. She has their words damning them uh on how like they're just out to pick your pocket as much as they can eh, and how they're going to try is. and take advantage of you in your time of grief. But the worst not surprised. Yes, but they're cloaking it under we're here for you. We're going to be your grief counselors. We'll get you through this hard time. Still not Trust us. And yeah, except we've all. Uh, I just don't I think mean, about funerals and had, morticians. The public Maybe had fallen I'm the weird for one. It, so. Listeners, um, write in and tell us. <laughs> I had never thought about it before. And so it was just, it was eye opening. It was 
her her style of writing is so funny and interesting, and she just lets these people shoot themselves uh, in the foot uh, with their own words. Um, and so, uh, it's, it's an entertaining read, but it's also very revealing, and it also made me want to, uh, do some more research on, like, how can I keep the funeral industry from picking my pockets and your pockets after I'm gone? And, uh, (sighs) man, I went down the rabbit hole on this one. It was great. So anyway, this is the revised edition. Of course, uh, the funeral industry was super mad at her for exposing them. And they uh, killed her. <laughs> and gave her a very expensive funeral. <laughs> that would have been ironic. Um, but uh, no, they, they acknowledged, oh yeah, she's right. She's uh, We have been uh, doing wrong in our ways. And then they proceeded to after admitting that they proceeded to continue on as they were and so uh it's a it's it's interesting i think hmm. i think we'll be the judge of that i liked it a lot <laughs> that's my number six the american way of death revisited so you didn't have time to read the entire george washington biography i, I got you for a gift that. but you did have time to read Oh, I, funeral book after I've funeral read this book. in a week. It, I cannot yeah. put it down. It's so good. All right. Maybe our morbid listeners hey, are. I am very close to finishing George Washington's life. It's, it's just it's, it's bogging down a little bit in uh-huh. the politics. Yep. But I'm getting there. <laughs> if only George Washington had gotten really interested in funerals, <laughs> he'd be done with it by now. <laughs> okay. My number six, The Divine Comedy, and I had read... I might read that this year. Okay. I had read the... Oh, I'm blanking on the first one. Inferno. I yeah. kept wanting to say hell, but that's not the title. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could translate it. Uh, but Inferno, so it's, uh, it's uh, Dante, and he writes a fictional account of himself traveling through hell purgatory and heaven and uh i mean one of the most impressive impressive things ever written it's all in in poetry of course it's translated from italian so there so you don't get the full effect of of that but um even through translation uh, again like like we were saying about dune but more more so just very impressive uh, a stunning achievement and um I mean, not a fun read or an easy read or, uh, and again, not something I always understood, uh, like we were talking about with Dune, but, uh, um, but very interesting and very, uh, I'm glad I read it. Um, and, and I mean, if I was being objective, probably would have to be at the, at the top of the list of just objectively right. great thing. Yeah. Um, but I put it as my number six, the divine comedy. Okay. My number five is another one. <coughs> Man, I can't stop coughing. Oh. Um, another one on uh mortality. No, come on. <laughs> it's so good though. It's not it's called Being Mortal. We're in our thirties. Medicine and What Matters in the End by Atul Gawand. This is a doctor from India. Uh, his, I think he, his parents moved from India when he was just a young boy, and then he trained, grew up, and trained in the states as a doctor. And uh, he started noticing that uh, medicine is is geared very heavily towards prolonging people's lives, um, but he started wondering if that's really all that we should be focusing on is just, you know, reaching for every last scrap, every last second of life, no matter how miserable that medicine is making you. Um, and so like he saw so many people that ended their days, um, fighting cancer or whatever, uh, 
just like drugged up in the in in the hospital unable to move uh instead of surrounded by family in the comfort of their home and with some uh uh what's the word not autonomy over their bodies and over what they uh you know what schedule they're gonna eat at what you know their their eating and sleeping schedule just very basic things like that or or people just dying of old age uh you know as as you get older the body breaks down and uh we don't want to think about that uh and so he's he had story it's it's so interesting because he got follows person after person Mm. story after story uh and he makes them very relatable of like this is someone's dad someone's uh and in fact one of them is his own dad and he talks about uh the the different things that they went through to uh ensure he had as much autonomy at as possible at the end of his life and and how for most people it's just a simple thing but to be able to wake up when they feel like it and eat a meal when they feel like it and maybe even like just go somewhere when they feel like it simple liberties like that that gets taken away when you get consigned to a nursing home or uh you spend your your days pumping pills or or something uh just on pain medication um or or seeking one miracle cure hopeful miracle cure that might extend your life for a few months longer but probably is going to be at best just days longer so very interesting uh so all of your I all of your books sound recommend- like amazing very interesting very helpful magazine articles that somebody really fluffed out to a to book length it was very moving i cried several times reading this book about some of the stories of 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 people sometimes because it was just so sad and other times because of how they made the right choices if nothing else he encourages people to look into geriatrics it's a dying dying medical field Uh, because uh, uh, because uh i get it it doesn't pay as well uh, because what they do, they're but they're they focus on helping people live independently as they get older. It's not so much extending your life as much as possible at at the expense of you know more pills or whatever. But they focus on helping you live your best life as you get older. Yeah, no, those are good things that could be put into a, a five minute read. And you would say, yes, that's true. And then you could have time to read something else. All right. But I'm glad you enjoyed My it. My number five, Being Mortal by Atul Gawand. And that's that's maybe my main thing. Since we're all mortal, we only have a limited amount of time. Why are we reading Whatever. books that could be articles? All right. This was a- number five for me, Paradise Lost. I know you like Paradise Lost. I liked it a little better than Divine Comedy. I really Comedy. want to rant, but I can't because <laughs> this been. is such a good, good book. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, uh, yeah, like Divine Comedy, very impressive, very uh, challenging, uh, but good read. Uh, here's some good advice I got for reading epic poetry. Uh, read it out loud. Uh, read a lot at a time. Don't get bogged down trying to parse every line. Um, and uh, read summaries first, uh, so you know what's going on. You don't want to. You're not reading it for the plot. You're you're reading it to marvel at at the language and um, at the uh, figures of speech. And uh, so uh, uh, the only other thought I had was, uh, you know, how what did it look like Milton writing this since he was blind? Mm. So like, how do you write poetry of this scope? When you're blind, do you just have I, your your person taking dictation? Yeah, probably. Constantly reading back to you. Like, are you go? You know, isn't it hard to go back and forth 
is he is he just such a a master poet at this point in his life that he can just think about it and rattle off you know uh, ten lines and then and then go back to his pondering or i i'm I'd be interested if there's any uh if anyone um has done any any research or or if he took any journals or anything about his so would you process. read a whole book about I'd probably read a an article on it. <laughs> that's my number five paradise lost my number four is dune messiah oh. second book in the dune series oh. and uh mostly because i'm not i wasn't burnt out at this point yet oh. it's um i mean i'm not burnt out still on this series but uh, i feel like this was a little more a little a bit tighter of a book even though it's an in-between book um it just it just felt more succinct in getting getting to the point than book three. My number four, Dune Messiah. Yes, I agree. Um and I already spoiled that it's not on my list. And that I liked the third one a little bit better. But they're about the same for me. Uh let's see. My number four is All the King's Men, the Pulitzer Prize winner. Uh, by Robert Penn Warren. And this is, uh, I think I had told you, uh, sort of based on Huey Long, the, the governor of Louisiana, that was just this really, uh, uh, this is actually interesting to think about in, con- in conjunction with Dune, a very, uh, charismatic leader that people thought was gonna ride the populism, uh, his, his very popular, giving the people what they wanted. Uh, policies, write it to the White House. That's a very interesting uh, alternate history, but he got assassinated. And so um, uh, this is uh, based on that, but also the narrator is is just completely out of, out of cloth invented, and so it's uh, set in the U.S. South. Um, and uh, so uh, just uh, very strong characters. Uh, he's a, an excellent writer slow to get into it's very long um but but very good here's a um a quote i wrote down and this is maybe uh well maybe a man has to sell his soul to get the power to do good and that's sort of the the central thought maybe um is you've got this politician he starts out as one of the people he has good intentions, he wants to do good, and then he uses his power to accomplish good things. I mean, he wants to build a hospital, he's going to, he has plans to build a hospital and, you know, help people that the politicians have been ignoring, and is it okay? I mean, it's, it's of course, that do the ends justify the means? Is it impossible to get things done as a politician without being... Uh, without dirtying your hands, right? A little bit. Basically, without without being this kind of, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a strong way to put jerk, <sighs> without uh, breaking our G rating. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, do you have to be a, a Steve Job to be a Steve Jobs or to be a an Elon Musk yeah. in business or to be a, a politician? Do you have to be this ruthless uh, kind of person? Um, is it just in, inevitable in this society or in any society? So it's very interesting. Uh, that's my number four, all the King's men. Okay. Very Thank long you though. for your pitch. I think I've heard <laughs> all I needed to. Sounds interesting. I have no desire to read it. For you, I would recommend the Wikipedia article on Huey Long. He okay. is pretty interesting. Uh, the real life guy, pretty interesting okay. character. Uh, my number, uh, what are we, three? Three. Yeah, my number three is the 14th volume in the Astro City comic book series. Uh-huh. Graphic novel, I don't care if you think it... Not gonna give you any guff on that one. ...deserves to be on here or not. So this one's called Reflections. And, uh, this, this, this one's so good from start to finish. I love pretty much all of the Astro City books. But uh, every story story in here was just solid, and 
Uh, the last one saw the return of one of my favorite Astro City characters that I haven't seen since yeah. before, Steeljack. One of your favorite characters, period, I think. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Favorite characters in fiction. Yeah. So good. My number three. Hey, if you haven't read the Astro City comic books, you're missing it. Yeah. These are so good. Uh, they're, they have some adult content, so, like, don't just... Yeah. Just because it's a comic book doesn't mean you can give it to your kids. Sure. Um, uh, and definitely some adult themes, too. But, man, mm-hmm. they're so well thought out and executed and, and drawn. And, and fun. And, yeah, fun, too. Yep. So, love these. Um, I think I'm going to try and get caught up to where you are this year. And the last two or three volumes are really hard to get. So, hopefully, yeah. they'll come back in print. Yeah. Or we'll have to buy them. Digitally. Digitally. Yeah. Read it on your iPad. Oh, I want I know. I want to stroke the uh, covers. Well, I was gonna say I know, but <laughs> retracted for that part. <laughs> Alright. My number three is A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. And uh, this is uh, I've said I said to you, and I probably put it on Goodreads. I had known that Charles Dickens was fun. I knew he was a good author, good characters, or great characters. But I didn't know he was a great writer until I read this. And um, uh, it's just, I don't know, it feels mythic, I guess, in the the kind of archetypal characters that he that he writes. And yet it still fe- feels very grounded in reality, this one especially. And, um, I mean, it's a super interesting time in history, French Revolution, and, um, uh, some of the characters, uh, the, the acts of, of love and sacrifice that they make, um, are really touching, and, um, I, I don't know, this one I, I really do think you should read, and I think you would like this one. Uh, let's see, um, couple, let me see if I want to read one of these. And these quotes. Okay, yeah. Here I'll give you a I'll give you a, a kind of funny quote from early in the book uh, to to illustrate his writing. Except on the crown, which was raggedly bald, he had stiff black hair standing jaggedly all over it and growing downhill almost to his broad, blunt nose. It was so like Smith's work, so much more like the top of a strongly spiked wall than a head of hair that the best of players at Leapfrog might have declined him as the most dangerous man in the world to go over. Huh? Huh? <laughs> that is pretty good. <laughs> so, uh, I I really enjoyed that one. Number three, A Tale of Two Cities. Okay, so Goodreads needs to up their game. Yeah. They're, uh... They're not good. I had my list sorted, um... Or I built built my list based on uh like I looked at the date red yeah and some of it they're showing was from 2020 but some of them I actually read in 2021 and so my list is not accurate. Well, they've got a few date dates like they have the date that you add it like when you if you yeah. click want to read yeah no but I I put I started reading it in 2021 and I finished it in 2021. Mm-hmm. And so it should, like, I don't know, they messed up. Maybe but so. a book that didn't make it onto my list is Let Them Eat Dirt, Saving Our Children from an Oversanitized World by B. Brett Finley. Okay. And that was a, a really good book. Um, and the book, I mean the title, I think says enough of it. Uh, hmm. And I see now that um, I thought I had read The October Country. By Ray Bradbury, back in 2020. But according to this, I read it in 21, and I gave it an extra half star uh, that I didn't give to uh, the Illustrated Man. So clearly, I like this one better. Uh-oh. So Goodreads, you suck, and I'm blaming this on you. Anyway, yeah, my number worst. two is I'm just gonna I. Needed rant. And now I'm back to the list as I had it. Number two, A Wizard of Earthsea by oh. Ursula K. Le Guin. And, or Le Guin, 
however you pronounce it. And uh, it's Le Guin, like penguin. Okay. Well, this is a brilliant book, uh, and it's very short. It's a uh, mm. it builds a whole world in a very short uh, few pages and words, kind of like C.S. Lewis does, but it's just as detailed and. Uh, evocative as as Narnia and whoa. Um, I feel that well, I mean Narnia has like seven books that I've only read one of these, but I I do plan to get to at least book two this year and maybe even book three. Uh, in this series, and then with uh Dune, uh Frank Herbert likes to tell you uh where the plot's going. And then, like, at the beginning of the book, and then spend the rest of the book surprising you with how he's going to uh, make that happen. Okay. Um, even though you think you know where the plot's going. And uh, and that's exactly what Ursula did in this book, too. Mm. So that even though you know uh, where the plot's going, it's still so interesting finding out how you get from A to B. Or A to Z in this case. Uh, great book. Very easy to get into. Very um, uh, very small commitment time-wise because it's short. Highly recommend it. My number two, A Wizard of Earthsea. Oh, I'm glad you like that. Maybe, uh, maybe in a few years I'll reread that with uh, with the girls. Yeah. Okay, I lied earlier, unintentionally. I said that that CSS book was my only nonfiction book, but actually my number two is John Adams by David McCullough. And it is nonfiction. And uh, this is one of those proofs that the best nonfiction is just as readable as fiction. I think that's certainly true for something like a biography or for... Uh, this kind of popular history um, that is, I mean, the only history I want to read. I don't know why, unless you're, unless you're a historian or um, I don't know, unless you need it for, unless you just need the facts for some reason. I don't know why you would want to read a dry, overly technical, more correct history versus a better a better written uh uh a better uh, more stories um more characters yeah well it's stories than, in a person's life that make yeah and i mean i understand the argument of there's fewer um you know it's more correct to re uh, to to read some of these um more technical things maybe they get more nuanced and maybe in like a popular history glosses over some things that are are more complex than than the uh interpretation of the author but uh i mean you're gonna have that anyway there's always gonna be some sort of um some bias you know, some, bias, some some leaving things out you're never gonna get 100 percent. so unless you just really need it for uh, for some purpose i don't know why you wouldn't read these really well written, more fun histories. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. But uh, yeah, really liked this. Really liked John Adams. I I decided partway through that John Adams was a hobbit, and uh, I'll link to my Goodreads review, and you can go read my my reasoning. But uh, uh, I just really really enjoyed getting back into this. Uh, part of history and reading about uh, maybe a, maybe a more uh, underrepresented, underrated, uh, um, at least for me, uh, character in the founding of the country, and just kind of hammers home again what a what lightning in a bottle, what a one in a million it was to uh, start a new country out uh, of out of nothing and did. and have yeah. it be so successful. Um, so, just a very interesting time in history. Very interesting character. Of course, very interesting, all the people surrounding him. And so, uh, I, I even rank John Adams above George Washington. 
on my list of favorite presidents. I did not expect that. I'd always said George Washington was my favorite. But, uh, yeah, I'm two presidents into my, my presidential biography reading. And Washington's already out of number one spot. So, um, yeah, I, I wrote a whole lot. Oh, man. About John Adams. <laughs> so go read on sure Goodreads if you're, if you're at all interested in uh, my thoughts there. So that's my number two. John Adams by David McCullough. I'll probably read. Yeah, I think you would. I think you would really enjoy it. All right. If we don't have the same number one, I'm going to cry foul. Well, my number one is knowing and teaching elementary mathematics. How is Moby Dick not Just your... kidding. Okay. Of course it's Moby Dick. Okay. Or the whale. whale. <laughs> the not whale, the whale. Yes. And Melville, make sure that you know that H is important. Make sure that you know a lot of things about whales. That are very important. They're all important. <laughs> What a great book. How about you go first? Uh, yeah. Have we not? It feels like we've talked about Moby Dick already, but I guess we would not have talked about it other than when we did our, our 100 favorite books um, 2020. I had started this, and then we did our top 10 books of all time. And at the end of the episode, I said, I'm really enjoying Moby Dick so far. This could possibly make my top 10 next time we do it and uh right now i would say this is my favorite book so this rockets to the top it was uh, so much fun it starts off in page one i'm already laughing um it's not dry really uh how could it be it takes place at sea oh (laughs) nice it's really well written just on a like a sentence level yeah uh uh-huh structure and grammar and uh, yeah it's it's poetic yeah in it's in the way it sounds yeah it's yeah. i mean it's adventurous it's it's got all of these um oh oh so here's something um i i think that uh when you're writing I, this is something i realized while i was reading it when you're writing something just completely made up like uh, tolkien did for the lord of the rings You've got to construct everything. And that was what Tolkien liked. He liked making up whole languages and writing long histories. um, And he pulled it off. But (laughs) fiction set in the real world has the advantage of you can bring in all these references Mm -hmm. that that already exist in people's minds. Mm -hmm. Um, So when Melville says something... I mean, when he says, call me Ishmael in the first line, you already have a connection to Ishmael if you've read the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, When he says Egypt, you've already got all of these things in your mind about, um, you know, the mysteries and the the riches of Egypt. Um, And when he references uh, real life uh, people, you've, you've got those in your mind. And so... Um, yeah, uh, that, that occurred to me while I was reading it. Uh, the language itself, I'd say challenging, but if you, uh, for example, have read the King James version of the Bible, which we both read growing up. Yeah, not, not necessarily a problem. Um, uh, so yeah, what else, what else uh, am I leaving out that you would like to say? Uh, well, uh, just to add on like all the references that he has uh he he has a lot of biblical references mm-hmm. but then uh it feels like this book is is in conversation with other great works um, oh yeah like i guess I, I i mean i don't know if if it's in conversation with the divine comedy but it would feel like it is or with with john milton or, or you know oh, other yeah. great things there's definitely down, references yeah. to paradise Lost. oh yeah and with, so uh, Ahab is, so, is a Satan type character. For oh sure. yeah! Oh man! Oh the descriptions of Ahab, one of my favorite characters in literature of all time. Uh, he is the words. Yeah. yeah I, <laughs> yep. I'm speechless. <laughs> trying to <clears throat> trying 
trying to even describe how amazingly Ahab is described by by Melville. He's just Mm. incredible. Here's one of my Uh, favorite quotes. As the unsetting polar star, which through the livelong Arctic six months night sustains its piercing, steady, central gaze, so Ahab's purpose now fixedly gleamed down upon the constant midnight of the gloomy crew. There's one where he's, it, like, when you first meet him and it describes him as, like, having this uh, lightning streak of a scar that runs down his face across, across the the hard bronze of his face. And, like, he seems like this mythic creature, this almost godlike character. Uh, and... Uh, and he never really steps down from there. <laughs> and, and the, the hubris of Ahab, uh, he is very much a Lucifer character of, uh, I am God and, uh, or I'm at least equal to the gods. Mm. Um, and I don't care what's done to me. I will defy you all. I will brave and, and dare the, the, the mighty deep and and all its terrors and he's he's such a a lost soul or not lost but just uh because that sounds pathetic uh he's he's cursed Hmm. and yet and he knows it he's He's brought it all down yeah 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 but you can't help but like admire him all the same Mm -hmm. oh man he's uh, he's it's an he's an incredible character and that's just ahab Mm -hmm. and then uh i i think for me personally i i did not expect to like this book certainly not for it to be uh to consider it one of the greatest books ever written Mm. uh but uh, i'd always heard yeah, the story's fine, but the cytology chapters, the chapters on whaling, man, they just bog it down. And so I grew up reading the great illustrated classic, right, which has none Same. of the chapters on, on whaling. And so I braced myself uh, for the chapters on whaling, and I loved them. They're incredible. They're so good. They're absolutely essential to the book, and they're funny it's it's all yeah, about interesting yeah there's stuff like they don't uh, have to be accurate or true they're just they build the mythos right like when he so moby dick is a sperm whale and he's the the biggest baddest whale in the ocean and so when uh ishmael is talking about all the different types of whales of course he criticizes right whales and, blue whales. and then blue whales don't even exist. Yeah. He's like, I doubt. I've heard the tales. I doubt they exist. <laughs> Melville knew that they existed, but that doesn't fit into this story. So he just pretends that there's no blue whales. There's that the sperm whale is the biggest yeah. and the best whale. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, and like there at one point you you have a sperm whale hung up on one side of the ship, and then mm-hmm. uh, a right whale hung yeah. up on the other side, and he like. He starts comparing the brows of the two whales, right. and he's like, "Note the sad, sort of sagging uh, front frontal exterior of the right whale, and note right. the majestic line of the sperm whale." You know, yeah. it's, it's just so on the nose, over the top. It's yeah. grandiose. I mean, he insists that Saint George's dragon was a whale. <laughs> um. <laughs> Stuff, stuff. Yeah, he turns whaling <laughs> into like this, uh, like this is what the heroes of old yeah. set out to do, right? So and they weren't out slaying dragons; they were they were killing whales. It's good. Yeah, it, it's great. Oh man, and uh, I I for for a while was writing down every awesome quote that I came across, and there's just too many. Yeah, uh, but. Uh, I think the best is Ahab's final words. Mm. Uh, man, yeah, I can only hope my last words are as amazing as his. <laughs> I think your last words are going to be, 
Don't overspend on the coffin. Probably. The morticians are trying to scam you. you. Those are going to be your last words. Uh, um, okay, one one further thing. Uh, if you want to love this book like we mm. do, mm. I highly recommend subscribing. Was it on the Patreon feed? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was the uncensored feed. That's true. Uh, I I feel it's worth it for a few lewd jokes. Uh, to listen to the uncensored feed of the Sci-Fi Christian, you pay $7 and you can listen to all the episodes they released on this. Do it as a, as you read along with them, uh, because it will greatly enhance your enjoyment of the book. And, uh, it just made it so much more fun. Yeah. I think that's a good, that is a good, definitely a good specific recommendation. And I wholeheartedly agree. And I would also say that's a good general recommendation when you're reading great literature. Do it in a group. Yeah. Do it with other people. And, Talk about uh, it. Exactly. Yep. You'll get a lot more out of it. And with someone that's that's read it before and has oh, yeah. some of that knowledge as well. Yeah. Instead of uh, Ben did a lot of research for this book and he's read yes. it several times. That's wow. right. Way to go, Ben. What a great book. Do you have any honorable mentions? I, I already mentioned them. The, okay. Um, uh, Let the meat dirt in the October country. Yeah. Knowing and teaching elementary mathematics that I joked about uh, was uh, the content is really good. Basically, you have to really understand the fundamentals to be able to teach. And, and she goes into a lot of examples. Uh, so go read my review on that one if you're interested. And uh, Passage to India uh, is another of those really slow, beautifully written books. Uh, the Metamorphosis by Kafka is good. And um, I reread The Two Towers in 2021, and that is as good as always. Oh. Maybe better. I I read uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol for the first oh, time. Oh, yeah. So squeeze that in right at the end. Great little book. It is. Everybody would love it. All right. Why don't you let the listeners know? Uh, you were talking about books that you reread. I reread The First Fifteen Lives of Harry August. Oh, I forgot and you did. that is still one of my most favorite books of all time. All right. Incredible. Can't recommend it enough. All right. Guys, man, I want a movie uh, of it, and I want Denis Villeneuve to do it. I think after his... new for all the book adaptations. <laughs> I know. After Dune. Well, at least for all the deep book adaptations. It... No, I want Denis Villeneuve to do Cat in the Hat <laughs> reboot film. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So anyway, thanks for listening to our books episode. Uh, if you've learned nothing else from this episode, it's that you should go read uh, Moby Dick. and And don't get cheated uh when you're in oh, that too. when you're grieving yes that too oh. yeah <laughs> advice for life advice for death you are welcome we should have done moby dick first i would have been in such a better mood with your i know uh, with your unceasing <laughs> funeral <points. laughs> i was just sorry thinking for, i feel sorry like for the, jumping on you for those i feel like the whole episode dragged but then i perked up for for number 1 i liked all these books but number 1 really Really just brought out my love. Maybe we'll just cut out <laughs> 10 through 2 discussion. Move those to after the credits. <laughs> People can skip it if they want. 10 to 1, the Moby Dick episode. Right. All right, guys. Write in. Tell us what you thought. Tell us what books you read last year and what you liked or disliked. Yeah. You can email us, tto at coser.us. Or go to our website, tto.coser.us, a slash 152 at the end of that will take you right to the show notes for this episode. That's right. You can go read our Goodreads reviews. You can friend us on Goodreads. And I'm always up for book book recommendations. Yeah. So let us know. All right. Well. I guess we'll be doing uh, mo best movies from last year next. But yeah. until then, I'm Brian Kozer. I'm Melissa Kozer. You've been listening to 10 to 1. Yeah.
a couple more books that I forgot to mention, uh, just kind of uh, on top of everything else. New Mom Essentials, if you're, uh, if someone you know is gonna have a baby, or, uh, you've just had a baby, this is a good book for you. Um, and Blood Pressure Down, if you tend to have high blood pressure running in your family. Uh, this is the 10 step plan to lower your blood pressure in four weeks, and I found it very practical with stuff that anybody can do. Alright, so on to criticism all right (coughs) so my worst book of the year was a 372 pages book the quilters pushback a cozy mystery self-published i don't think i need to harp on this one and uh this might be the last book that i read with 372 pages i had fun with her podcast and uh still like still like those two guys but uh, there's just not enough time to read everything. And so the obvious thing to cut is the... The bad books. The never-ending stream of one-star books. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, gotta know when to quit. And I'm gonna quit while I'm still having fun, but running out of time to, <laughs> <laughs> to get everything done. Uh, but that was a, a fun one to read along. Uh, my most disappointing book of the year was Robinson Crusoe. And, uh, I mean, we just talked about Moby Dick, how much we liked, uh, that long, at times technical, at times a little more than listing things out about whales, whale facts. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I'm not necessarily going to dislike Robinson Crusoe. I expected to like it, uh, but it was a huge slog, uh, very preachy. Um, I don't know. I've, I could definitely, it's possible I missed some things, but he seemed like 18th century Kirk Cameron, just a very basic, straightforward, not very deep kind of sermon masquerading as fiction. You really like to rag on poor Kirk Cameron. Is the easy example that we all know and love. (laughs) guy he seems like uh, such a solid nice person i'm sure yes he he's a good stand-in though for for uh poor quality christian entertainment <sighs> if you have a better one i'm i'm happy to retire kirk no no i'm gonna be kind to our christian brothers anyway if i meet him in person i'll be very kind you know who i'm gonna pick on yeah george orwell Oh, get him. Yeah, so I read Animal Farm. Brilliant book. So yeah. great. Okay. Read Down and Out in Paris and London. Mm. The Realism, so good. Yeah, that's right. And Never read it. Uh, you liked it. So two winners by yeah. him. And so you've got to read now, 1984. 1984, which I had touted to me as prescient. Yeah. Uh, so good, must read. It's got to be one of the most referenced books in culture i hated this book it was so bad (laughs) okay so you talked about 372 pages i referenced them in my review that they're their books most of them uh the reason they're bad is that they follow the same formula a lot of them they tell the audience what they want to tell them then they tell the audience and then they tell the audience what they just told them so uh not well written at all uh they they're mostly just fluff and that's what Orwell did here. And I get it. He's trying to emphasize how bad communism is. And how it's, it's, it's an oppressive system. Uh, you know, nobody's happy. But... Yeah, totalitarianism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His message is completely lost to me. I mean, not lost, but I just hated it because... Mm. Uh, he could, he has a, he has the makings of a good story and he just throws it away in uh, with constantly harping on, see, see, see how bad it is. You don't see? Well, let me tell you again how bad it is. Mm. In fact, in the middle, there's just a manifesto of like tenets from totalitarianism on how, you know, uh, one thing that we do is we 
erase the past, all mention of the past, and mm. we write what is actually happening. Okay. And 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 it just it's a slog, and then you have again a character going through uh, about how they, you know, these are the th- the tenets of totalitarianism. And it's just yeah. it's so annoying and stupid. And from a brilliant writer like George Orwell, it's all the more sad. Hmm. So what is it that, I, I mean, so, it has a high reputation. So disappointed. I'm looking through my Goodreads friends, and I do see one other three-star review, but other than that, it's five-star, four-star, 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 five-star, five, four, four, four. So well, what, what think, are people seeing? I think everybody is just like, oh, yeah, we hadn't realized communism totalitarianism is so bad <laughs> thank you george orwell and they're true. not actually reading <laughs> or analyzing the structure of the book like hmm. i am interesting all right they're not actually engaging with the story i've never read it so well I've... this is a skip all right maybe i will it's not high on my list i gave it two stars because and one of those stars is because it is an important message. But man, <laughs> he just, he ruined the message for me. 